This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. Him? Shin! Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan. And I'm Blue Noah. And we are the Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. And in this installment, we will be discussing Kamen Rider episodes 84 and 85. Hello, listeners. Before we get to the plot breakdown for our first Common Writer episode, I wanted to take this opportunity to introduce a very special guest here with me today. You heard him a little bit during the intro, but YouTuber extraordinaire and apparently some people's favorite toku nerd, <laughs> Blue Nova. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. Glad to be here. Uh, I am excited to have you on. I've been following your channel for a couple of years now. You've and funny a couple of years. Yes. Actually. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and funny enough, you actually started your journey through Common Rider around the same time that I did under the supervision of my past co-host, Travis Alexander. <laughs> You've been making some videos about it. Yeah, it was about a year ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've. I mentioned this before we started recording. I've actually referenced your videos a couple of times in the show. Oh, nice, 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 nice. <laughs> ah, yeah, you're uh, you're getting around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but you got started doing a lot of stuff about Godzilla and Kaiju. You've been expanding out into the Tokusatsu superheroes. Uh, was there anything in particular about Common Rider that made you want to take that dive? Because this is a long show. Trust me, I know all about it. <laughs> I've been podcasting about it for a year and a half. So around the time that I made the Ultraman video about the various media that's been inspired by Ultraman, there was a comment that someone asked me to do the same for Kamen Rider. Now, I've looked through Kamen Rider a few times before, but I never actually sat down and committed to it. And I was moving around that point. So I was in my hotel room and watching. I said, you know what? I'm going to just sit down and, and bench Kamen Rider. I did, and I was having a swell time. <laughs> Found it entertaining and creative. It got me hooked, so mm -hmm. from that point on, I was just on the common train. Mm. Was that your first common Rider show? 71? Yes. Mm. Uh, so, are you old enough to remember the infamous Saban's Master Rider? <laughs> I am not. I do not think I was alive. <laughs> You're not missing much, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, that show's reputation precedes it, and with good reason. <laughs> oh purpose <laughs> oh my gosh oh what they did to common rider black rx come on what was what were you doing <laughs> although uh, masked rider's appearance on power rangers was pretty fun i will say that i mean that must uh, hmm. i've joked before this like that must uh, if any japanese people watch that three-parter that must have made their brains explode because they're like Zhu ranger die ranger and common rider black rx together 
Yeah, that must have been pretty wild. <laughs> what are they smoking and why did they throw it into a blender? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that Comrade Black Sun is out, they have an opportunity to do Masked Rider Part 2. I yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. A common writer might not, uh, Black Sun might RX. Might not be the most <laughs> might not be the most appropriate material to, to do that to. Probably but. not. But uh, now we're actually getting an official release of Common Rider Black, which is really cool. I've been wanting that for a while. I watched the first couple episodes of Black on Toei's YouTube channel and I was hooked, man. <laughs> oh yeah, those first two episodes are great. Oh, they Absolutely. are. Oh, they are. And I'm like, I, this is I'm like, this is the common writer show for me. I need this. And I did watch the first couple of Black RX because of its connections to Power Rangers. Because you know, I co-host the Power Trip with Michael Hamilton, where we're going through the mm-hmm. Power Rangers franchise. So I thought I should see what Black RX is like, and it's really different. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've seen. I haven't really committed to it, but I've seen and heard some very interesting things about that show. About Black RX or Saban's Master yeah. Rider? <laughs> About Black RX. <laughs> uh, Black RX, yeah. It's totally different than the original, which I think bugs some people. But I'm guessing there was good reason for it. And as far as I know, I think that I think that's the only writer show that's gotten a direct sequel. Now, some of the the, the 70s stuff I know were technically continuations from each other, and they because they would have yeah, like Kamen Rider and Kamen Rider V3, yeah, like V3 because they would have cameos from past writers. But this one was like, no, this is a direct continuation with the same characters and the same writer, even though he changed costumes. I've seen plenty of people say that RX should have just been its own show, they should have dropped the connection to Black and started a new protagonist, potentially, potentially, because like I said, it is really different but you know we're not here to talk about black and black rx as much as we might want to because you just released a video common writer shin yeah 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 (laughs) oh man (laughs) you because you just uh you did just release a video actually on common writer black so (laughs) some shameless self-promotion there for you (laughs) appreciate it appreciate it yeah But we're going to get started on a couple of episodes of the original Common Writer that I, you know, when I got a hold of you and I said, hey, I'd like to have you on the show. Here are the episodes I still have left to cover. And I asked you which ones you would like to do. And you said, how about these? And I'm like, all right, we're doing those. And it wasn't until (laughs) I saw the episode preview for the first one we're about to talk about why you chose that. But we'll get into that after I do the plot breakdown. Rider in peril, Amena Nagwar's hellish trap, Ayoshi Raida, Isuki Niaga, no Jikuku Wana. In an episode directed by manga legend Shotaro Ishinomori, Gale Shocker turns Rider Girl Maki's father into a deadly kaijin, Amena Nagwar. The man is ordered to kill Kamen Rider at all costs, and he even goes so far as to kidnap his own daughter, but he fights this programming at every turn. Will it be enough to save everyone involved, including himself? So, as I was saying, <laughs> you chose this episode, but you didn't tell me why, and then I saw the preview, like, oh, the creator of Common Rider directs it. Now I understand. <laughs> yeah, and he brings a very unique usual visual style to this episode. Yeah, because um, when I went to the next episode, I'm like, this 
feels like it just goes back to typical common writer. Mm, it, it goes back in that direction, but I do think 85 still has a, a bit more ambition than the standard episode. Yes. So yeah, you said this has a, how did you put it? The distinct visual what? A unique visual style. Unique visual style. Tell us a little bit more. So a lot of, especially the, even yeah, the earlier episodes of Common Rider, the first 13 that most people talk about when they talk about the show, they are very experimental. Mm-hmm. A lot of playing with lights and with camera angles and like rotating the camera mm-hmm. side to side. Upside down. <laughs> yeah, upside down as well. That kind of disappeared after episode 13. Mm-hmm. And it became more standard. But then around that point, they had more money. So you have greater polish. Mm-hmm. Compared to what the Ultra series was doing at the time, overall, Kamen Rider is pretty standard for most of its run. Mm, but yeah, over time, this it, was the uh, 70s Ultra is crazy. <laughs> it's, mm, and every mm. every Ultra series is a different brand of crazy. <laughs> like Return of Ultraman, which aired at the same time, looks amazing. It does. It's a gorgeous show. Yeah. And then you get to Ultraman Ace. And everyone is Supra was on acid. Because <laughs> that's what Ace is an acid trip. <laughs> Back to Common Rider. Yeah. We'll save Ultraman for another day. Yes. Um, sure. <laughs> so Ultraman had Akiyoji Soji. His style of filming things kind of became the ultra style. Mm-hmm. And I love it. It's very unique. I think that what Shitara does in this episode... It's probably closest to what Gisoji was doing. Mm. It's away from the more standard look of Kamen Rider overall. And you start getting some very strange shots. Yes. And it's very weird moments, like whenever the bikers were approaching Kamen Rider and it's just silent. I know, that threw me off so much. Yeah. <laughs> there's cool. some There's some really interesting choices in terms of cinematography and editing in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it, like it starts with this sweeping helicopter shot and I, I'm like, they must have allocated a lot of money to this one because they get a lot of use out of the helicopter. Yeah, they and, did. There's right. a lot of helicopter like, no, shots. <laughs> yeah. There's the helicopter shots and then Taki spends most of his time in the episode in the helicopter. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, which is, it, which is interesting because uh, I wonder if some of the you brought this up. Actually, this is one of the bits of one of your videos that I referenced about how some of the that like that middle era of the show, how the cinematography got stepped up a little bit because they had just made some movies, which are now available to view with subtitles on Toei's YouTube channel. And I just watched them, actually, Mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. And I'm wondering if they had some helicopter shots in there. So I'm wondering if maybe they were able to. You know, talk Toei into le- allocating some of that helicopter money because <laughs> they're like, we got the guy who created the show. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Common Rider didn't really take off until the second writer came on. Yeah, uh, yeah. like the, the, the first the first thirteen episodes weren't exactly the biggest hit, but the show really it was it went from five to eleven once we got Hayato on. I know, and so I imagine th- there was more money coming in because. The first 13 episodes were shot on a notoriously cheap budget. Yeah, you could tell. <laughs> Looking at you, B-woman. <laughs> oh 
my gosh. That, it's still one of the gaudiest kaijin of the week on the show. <laughs> uh, Keita Memie, you did us all a favor when you updated her. <laughs> in your in one of his movies <laughs> which inspired a which inspired a one-star review on letterbox that said honestly the monsters are hot <laughs> well <laughs> not arguing with him <laughs> yeah but we see how there's a lot of helicopter shots in this there's some i'm looking through my notes to find what i wrote down about some of the you mentioned the goons coming on the motorcycles and it just cuts to absolute silence for several seconds which really stands out the, it does the you, have, you have a lot of shots from the perspective of the bike as he's yes chasing down the yellow rally car red and yellow rally car yes the, there's also i call them beauty shots I said that they kind of pad out the episode because, you know, because there's all of these like sweeping beauty shots of landscape and other things or just the, you know, seeing Kamen Rider going around on the motorcycle. The only part I felt was too long was that one shot of Hongo chasing the car. Yeah. Where it just slowly pans out and follows the two of them. Yeah. But they aren't really going very fast. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Mm, you probably could have cut this by a few seconds. Yeah, there was also a couple of shots that, as weird as this sounds, reminded me of Godzilla versus Hedera. Like what? The naked baby doll on the beach that had one leg yeah. missing. Yeah, that was very different. It just, like, there's an explosion. It cuts to a shot. It pans across the beach for a second, and then it focuses on the baby. Yeah, the baby doll. Yeah, yeah, and I just it, and it lingers there and kind of zooms in. I'm like, symbolism. <laughs> it contributes to the weird feeling of the episode overall. Yeah, it does. Oh, very- actually, uh, actually, one of the <laughs> when I was at G Fest, they screened Godzilla versus Hedera, and it became a little bit of a joke. Well, for people in the theater to when the weird stuff started happening, to just yell, "It's a metaphor." <laughs> <laughs> that's what i should that if i could screenshot that i i would screenshot that and make that into a meme that just says it's a metaphor <laughs> i'm i'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to mean i think it's supposed to be in reference to maki i would it would be my guess a baby doll that's a naked baby doll that's missing a leg yeah because i guess because she's in danger or something I'm not sure. Hmm. I can't quite put it together. <laughs> Do you know if Mr. Ishinomori had ever directed anything before this? I am not sure off the top of my head. Because, hmm. yeah, because like I said, he ha- he has a very distinct flair. I would have been curious to see if he find out if he directed anything. But I wonder if his background as a manga artist really factored oh, yeah, into that, this. That probably helped out a lot. He he probably had a lot of. A lot of ideas in mind for how to capture certain actions and yeah, because a, a lot of that goes into making a manga. Right. Yeah. Because just the way he frames everything is just, it's so different than anything else. And like you, I was thinking back to those original 13, but this feels more polished than those yes, original 13. 84 has more money than those 13 episodes did. So you have someone who's great at visual storytelling armed with a 
larger budget than his peers had back then. So yeah, 84 is probably the most visually impressive episode of the entire series. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I still Although have, I, I still have another 13 or 14 episodes to go, but at this point, yeah, you might be right. Although I am really fond of the dam use in, I think episode 54, the one with the town that was overrun by the snake. Oh yes. Tragedy. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of cool shots in there, but overall as an episode, 84 is definitely the better example. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then there was that very interesting use and uh, this will come back a little bit in the awards, but you had general black getting into the Kaijin's head and basically gaslighting him. And it was done kind of minimalistically and a little bit ethereally. Oh yeah. The, the camera spin around his head yes. as he's struggling to fight back against general black's encouragement. I'll put it lightly. <laughs> is very distinct yes yes it was and that's the other thing that's different about this that i appreciated is this is one of the rare instances in the show where the audience is meant to feel sympathetic to the kaijin Mm -hmm. and i can't think back to too many episodes of the show where the kaijin are redeemed or saved in the end there i can count those on one hand at this point, it's not the first time that it's happened, but it doesn't happen very often. The, the episode in which Goro, he's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So this is, this happens early in Hayato's time as Kamen Rider, when he's the main star of the show. The kaiten of the episode, I believe, is the brother of, of that that one kid. Yes. And he gets redeemed, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I was trying but, to think, uh, wasn't there... What was it? The the wrestling dinosaur? Is that one where he didn't die at the end or did he die at the end? I can't remember. That was another kind of Goro-centric episode, too. It could be oh, misremembering because yeah, no, okay. there's been a lot of episodes of this show. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, this show is long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of things just start to blend together a little bit after a while. There was one in those first 13 episodes where I think they had an opportunity to go that route, but they didn't really do a whole lot with it, which is the one where it was one of Hongo's old friends. It was very, well, very Hongo early didn't on. Want him. Remember him saying, go back to being who you used to be. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, nope. no, nah, that's not for me. Yeah, nope, not interested. And there have been a few kaijin where it seems like the people who get turned into the kaijin were not necessarily on board with doing it, but after the transformation, they're totally fine with it. Yeah, episode 13, the soccer player. Yeah. He yeah. was like, yeah, no, I'm not becoming a a shocker kaijin. And then whenever it happens, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's been opportunities to do it. But like I said, once the transformation happens, if you see one... They just go along with it. But this is one of the rare instances where there is actual conflict, internal conflict with the victim of Shocker. Well, in this case, Gel Shocker. I have to keep reminding myself. It's Gel Shocker, even though Gel Shocker is basically just Shocker. <laughs> and it makes the drama all the more compelling. Yes, it does. Especially since we're and we're actually going to use one of the writer girls and actually have the, the writer girl make a meaningful contribution to the story as opposed to standing around looking pretty <laughs> now the, the the writer girls at least earlier on were decently involved yeah i re- remember a lot of fight scenes early on when um yeah whenever they popped up with with hayato 
back in episode 14. Yeah. And especially like those first seven ish episodes, they yeah. were involved in sword fighting and helping oh, yeah. saving hostages. Yeah, that's true. But then after a while, they just stopped doing things. <laughs> <laughs> And, and now we have one that her entire personality is she likes food. Oh yeah, her yeah. We get it. <laughs> uh, although I found something interesting uh, uh, that one of the past writer girls was actually half white, half Japanese, and she had a singing career. Yes, I cannot remember her name off the top of my head, but yeah, she looked the most mm, distinct out of all. The first she three did. writer girls. She did, and then uh, when I looked her up, I was like, "Man, she she's lived a very interesting life. She's still around. Oh, yeah. She has a website, and so and and she the character really wanted to get with Hayato in the beginning. Yeah, she did. And I'm just, <laughs> I just I just I just found myself wondering, like, man, what what did it, what must it have been like growing up? Because from what I've read of her biography, she grew. Uh, she yeah, she was. She's the daughter of, I think, an American serviceman and a Japanese woman. And I just, I can't imagine what it would have been like growing up in Japan because she was raised in Japan. I wonder what it was like growing up in Japan as, you know, half Japanese. So, you know, Travis and I had an interesting little conversation about that. Hmm. But uh, getting back to our episode. So we've talked about all the cinematography and the, <laughs> the weird kind of Godzilla versus Hedera style uh, shots in this, you know, that make you wonder. Was like, what is that even supposed to mean? <laughs> I, I wonder if Mr. Ishinomori was a big fan of Yoshimitsu Bano. <laughs> I, I do believe that kind of filmmaking was in style at that point. Mm. Yeah, that Could would make mistaken. sense. That would make sense. But there's also some kind of weird quirks in this too. That uh, like. Apparently, Gelshocker goons squeak when you punch them on the ground. <laughs> Gelshocker goons are just the shocker in general. Just overall, they can can change pretty wildly from episode to episode. Yeah, they because do. <laughs> at one point in the show, I believe Tachibana she brought up the possibility that they didn't they couldn't speak. Well, they didn't speak because they didn't have tongues. But obviously, you have plenty of examples of them talking. So yeah, or just making weird noises. I mean, come on, you need. I I, I don't know how you can make with those weird noises without a tongue. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> shockeries there. You know, <laughs> uh, and and well, and when they first showed up, we were we were led to believe that Gel Shocker is so much is so much more hardcore than Shocker that the goons have to take a drug every three hours or they will spontaneously explode. Which sounds very inconvenient. Very yes, inconvenient. it does. <laughs> but apparently that doesn't happen anymore because no one brings it up. But then again, this show has a bit of a memory hole. It forgot that Taki got married in episode like 11 or 12. <laughs> hmm. Do you think that might have been a an, an act on Taki's part? It might. It had to have been because otherwise it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, Taki, really? you're a married man. Or at least I thought you were a married man. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, marriage doesn't necessarily stop people from getting around. Uh, that, this is true. This is true. Which means Taki is a cad. <laughs> 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 My gosh. <laughs> I, my head canon is that 
his wife divorced him off uh, off camera because she couldn't handle him running around you know working for the fbi and helping common writers she just couldn't handle it <laughs> my husband will not be running around helping some grasshopper dude riding a motorcycle it's like, absolutely not Taki, it's me or grasshopper man <laughs> Well, we all know who he chose. <laughs> Apparently. And according to Travis, he chose him quite a bit. Let's just talk. Very progressive. Very progressive. <laughs> yeah, he he does shipping, apparently. All right. Where were we? Uh, good, po- uh, good question. Let me get us back on track a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking over some of my notes. We talked about a lot of stuff I had on there already. Oh, uh, speaking of dolls. We also had a life-size Maki doll that explodes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I guess the villain had that in his trunk. And whenever he was appearing and disappearing, because it was like a 30-second sequence of him doing the camouflage move yep. where he vanishes and reappears. And I guess that's what he's carrying whenever he's doing that because Maki ends up being in the car, which Taki finds later. Yep. And then Hongo apparently does the fastest tension ever. <laughs> Yeah, he explodes, and then he's on top of the helicopter. Yeah, he's hanging from the helicopter, and he's like, ha-ha, I'm Kamen Rider. I'm like, seriously, man, that was the fastest headshot ever. <laughs> okay. That was, a pretty, that was a pretty high jump, too. Yeah, well, he is Kamen Rider. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's done some pretty crazy things in the past. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah well, he, um, that and jumping is his thing. I mean. <laughs> maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought the helicopter was... was Unusually high for his standards of jumping, but I could be, could be mistaken. This is also true, although I've also, in a past episode, I have seen Hongo jump to the point where I swore he was flying. I was like, this is like Golden Age Superman right here, guys. I mean, <laughs> he's jumping so high, he may as well fly. That rhymed. Anyway. Uh, yeah, he, he does what the plot demands him to do. Oh, yeah. Which comes up in which comes up in the next episode, which I feel like was kind of cheating. Oh, yeah, but. we'll talk about that. Although he's not powered by as much plot convenience as, say, Jet Jaguar. <laughs> oh, boy, Jet Jaguar. <laughs> powered by plot convenience. <laughs> uh, well, what's funny is that there was also a freeze frame that uh, right, I think it was right before the commercial. A commercial yes. break that actually made me think for a second that my Internet connection went out. <laughs> It was a cool shot. I guess they really wanted you to take that in. Yep. Take it in, people. Take it in. And then we get the writer point kick. What is the difference? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. I that, Now we're just making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right for the show. Uh, uh, yeah. Now, what did you think of the ending here? Because we had a subversive ending, I think. Even compared to the other episodes where the Kaijin get redeemed where he defeats gail shocker himself where he overpowers the influence yes yeah it was different it's like i said redeeming the kaijin doesn't happen too often in the show and as you mentioned that this this episode makes you feel sympathetic towards the kaijin right and, and then, it's not even common writer who does it it's really yeah. it's maki who wins the day it's the love between the daughter and the father which overpowers the presence of evil yeah so love saves the day in this episode yeah love conquers all which is not the moral of the story <laughs> apparently mm-hmm. the, the stated moral is that gel shocker like war will tear families apart 
Yeah, that still holds up because it did tear family apart. It you does. have a father so who's been converted to evil, and he's using his own daughter as a tool to kill common writer, no matter right. the price. It seems, but he like- loves her so much. Ultimately, that he overpowers that, and mm-hmm. love saves the day. Yeah, I feel like it's a. Well, I don't know. Would it be a uniquely Japanese thing to say that at this point? Probably not, because this is you know the tail end of the Vietnam War. That seems like something that people would say, but I don't know. It just made me think that this has got to be a little bit of a post-war sentiment, you know, distinctly Japanese post-war sentiment here. Hmm. That I'm not too sure of, so I won't comment on that. <laughs> yeah, I understand, but it just—it was just something that made me think. Uh, made, it made me think about it, but it is something I think anybody can agree on, because <laughs> that is what war does. One of the things that war does. Any other thoughts before we move on to the next episode? Well, the daughter is played by the actress from Ultraman Leia. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> and Ishino Mori makes a cameo as the fisherman who dies whenever. The Kaijin first pops up. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that's Ishinomori. He gets killed by the Kaijin? That is that's brilliant, actually. Killed by the Kaijin in the episode he directed. <laughs> Take that, Hitchcock. Did you ever die in one of your cameos? <laughs> uh, that, that's hilarious, actually. I wish Ishinomori would have gotten more episodes to direct. I agree. Like, and heck, better yet, I wish Toei had somehow convinced Akio Jisoji to come on board and direct a few episodes oh of Kamen Rider. Oh my gosh, can you imagine a Akio Jisoji directing Kamen Rider? That would have been nuts. It would have been insane. And oh. I'm like, man, you, did they, I think he was, yeah, he wasn't really involved too much with Return of Ultraman at this point. He was directing his erotic film trilogy around this point, I do believe. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh man! Although like, there there was one sequence in an older Common Rider episode that made me think of Jisoji, which was <laughs> I called it the ball the ballet dance of death. <laughs> oh yeah, whenever yeah that happened early on, like the first thirteen episodes. Yeah, because uh, I I was just like, what am I actually watching? <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of creativity that it doesn't completely disappear, but it's not as. When whenever Hayato shows up, that kind of vanishes a bit, and it becomes far more of a standard show. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, maybe that's what helped catapult it to the to its popularity. I don't know. I think it being lighter helped out probably the most. Yeah, Hongo was really broody at uh, at the start. Mm-hmm. And then you have the well-adjusted Hayato who pops up, and here he is turning down chicks who offer to be his model. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I told you. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't photograph women. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Odd. Anyway, do you have anything else? No, I think that about covers it. All right. Well, then, let's move on to episode eighty-five. Eighty-five. It is. The Sludge Monster's terrifying killer smog! Hodoro Kaijin Kyofu no Sachin Tsumagu! Gelshocker kidnaps and transforms a criminal into the sludge craving eel turtle hybrid Kaijin or Yurtle! With the help of a mind controlled scientist, this fiend intends to decimate Tokyo with flesh eating smog! Now Kamen Rider and Taki are all that stands in Mora Yurtle's way!
Villanova, you said you had some thoughts on the pollution angle on this episode? Yes, I do. So this episode came out late 1972, and the early 70s in general it was a big period for people trying to tackle the pollution problem. Mm-hmm. Like the, the price of progress, how quickly a lot of countries had developed prior to this, it led to a lot of pollution. A lot of smoke coming out of smokestacks, a lot of disgusting rivers, ponds. And the toku of that era tackled that theme quite a bit. You have the most obvious example, Godzilla vs. Hedorah came out in 71. Mm-hmm. This comes up in Gamma vs. Zigra, mm-hmm. which I believe is also 71. Uh-huh. You have Spectre Man, which was 71. Mm-hmm. You have this episode of Common Rider, which was, again, 72. And then you have a episode in 71 of Return of Ultraman, which tackled pollution. Mm-hmm. So big theme, and not just in Japan. Again, this was across the developed world. You, this was around the time that in the U.S. you get the EPA, mm-hmm. Environmental Protection Agency, this is when Dr. Seuss wrote The Lorax. Mm-hmm. And this is when Marvin Gaye released the environmentally conscious anthem, Mercy, Mercy Me. Mm-hmm. 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 So big, big issue. Mm-hmm. And there's even hints of it in Godzilla versus Gigan as well, because that's why the cockroach aliens left their planet, because it had been destroyed by, among other things, pollution. Yeah, and you can even stretch that back to All Monsters Attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that film opens on a very polluted city. Right, right. Yeah, uh, that was to show the, uh, the, yeah, the price of progress, the hyper-urbanization, the hyper-industrialization of the late mm-hmm. 60s, and that which really did pave the way for Hedera. And then by the end of the 70s, Japan started implementing a lot of new regulations to tackle the problem and managed to clean up a lot of that. Yeah, and I believe the first Earth Day was either in 71 or 72. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's it, yeah, you're right. There's a big concern for it at the time. And it's interesting that we're talking about Godzilla versus, the, versus Hedera or Godzilla versus the Smog Monster because there's a very similar thing going on here. We've got Killer Smog that melts people to skeletons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Japanese title, as you heard me read it, we have Hedero Kaijin, which is the Japanese word for sludge, which is where we get Hedera. This is derived mm-hmm. from the same word. And so th- there's a lot of overlap here. This kaijin, <laughs> the previous episode, it was a sea anemone and a jaguar, which is a very, very odd pairing, to say the least. But welcome to the <laughs> final stretch of Common Rider. <laughs> you get combo monsters now. This one is slightly less nutty. But good grief, this kaijin is crazy. So it's Mora Yurtel. I hope I said that right, but that is how it was subtitled. He is an eel and a turtle. Yes, and it can detach its head, and its head can <laughs> can maneuver on its own and attack its enemies. <laughs> Decapitation attack. I have no idea how that works. I really, <laughs> I don't understand. I'm like, like, this thing's a yokai at this point, okay? I don't know how it can do this. This is just crazy. <laughs> like, Mora Yurtel is Gamera's crackhead cousin at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that he gets things done. Yeah, he, like, he does get things done. very aggressive, and this man is straight to business. Like, he, he argues a lot with General Black, and whenever Kamen Rider escapes, he's like, why are we not going after him? What is the meaning of this? I was like, wow. <laughs> he's a very proactive kaijin. 
Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I actually, I'm looking at my notes. I actually wrote on my notes, Gamera, what'd they do to you? <laughs> it's, it's an easy connection to make, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, the decapitation attack. Yeah, you're going to have to get used to that. Uh, it happens a couple of times. I wasn't ready either way. The guy, this is another case of we see the guy who gets transformed and he doesn't necessarily seem to be in favor of it. But once he gets transformed, he's like, I like this. Do you think that might be a aspect of the brainwashing? I think it is. Uh, and that's been well established in this show. Yeah, because they shocker failed to brainwash the first common writer. So, well, and the second get away <laughs> and the second, I think in the manga, maybe he doesn't get brainwashed. Well, he gets brainwashed. Hayato and Rider One has to save him. Ah, uh, which is what they did in the Common Rider, the first movie. Yes, although you could you could fit that into this timeline too, because you don't really know the details of Hayato being saved in this show. Yeah, this is true. They moved very quickly through his origin. He just pops up and he mentions that he was rescued. Yep. Yep. So we have a pretty impressive kaijin suit. I do like this kaijin a lot for various reasons. I love how they have to specify that he needs better sludge. Shocker doesn't make filthy enough sludge because we lack the correct pollutants. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) I'm guessing maybe he needs certain material in the sludge. I'm guessing so because I'm like, I thought sludge by definition was filthy. (laughs) But it's not filthy enough for his needs. I, I need more crap in my crap. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and apparently, I, 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 Gelshocker is a little bit more environmentally conscious, I guess. They're a little greener than other people. So I guess they're not um, all evil. They're all like 99.9% evil, but... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can take our victories where, where, where we get them. Take uh, our yeah, victories where I, we I get guess, them. I guess we can, but it's like, hey... Gel Shocker, I have to keep reminding myself. <laughs> Gel Shocker, can you share some of that with the rest of the world? Uh, no? No, you'd rather take over the world? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, yeah, the, the Kaijin specifically brings up uh, Tagunorube whenever he's talking about the sludge. Uh-huh. He's like, I, I, need, I need material like the sludge found there two years ago. Mm. That bay was notoriously polluted mm. a few years earlier. And it's part of what helped inspire the, the movement to go green and tackle the pollution issues. Ah, that so makes sense. People at the time would have recognized that name. Oh, you did your homework. I like it. <laughs> this is why you're on the show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then you got yeah, you got more Yertle going around. He's like, sludge, give me more sludge. And I'm just thinking back to Edgar the Bug from Men in Black. Give me Sugar in water. (laughs) (laughs) Give me sludge in water. And then later on in the movie, eat me. I said eat me. (laughs) Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, And instead we uh, instead we got I have uh, we got Moriarty getting ahead. Oh man. Oh, man. Bad puns are encouraged on this show. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep that in mind. Speaking of his head, I really like how fleshy, well, the back of his suit looked whenever the head came off. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> that was so yeah he can fight and move around without his head too yeah he can attach the head and still be able to fight Ryder which made things more convenient for him it the head just distracted Ryder later on yeah yeah which we'll talk a little bit uh, I'll talk about that a little bit in the awards for sure <laughs> and uh there's some funny things. I, I actually I haven't asked you this. How do you? Because I haven't watched your final Common Rider seventy one video yet because I didn't want to get spoiled. But mm-hmm. what's your opinion on the Rider Kid core? Mm, you could question it morally. <laughs> I do putting kids in in situations like that. I mean, you're dealing with a very dangerous terrorist organization who loves converting people into monsters. And they are not beyond um, doing horrible things to children. <laughs> that happens a couple of times in, in that last stretch of episodes, actually. Yeah, yeah. Travis and I called them the children of the shock horn. Oh, man. Once again. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of funny n- names for some of these things. I call the writer kid core the common Kenny force. <laughs> common Kenny force. Yep. <laughs> I'm surprised by how, how well the, the concept of Kenny... Not okay, not the concept, but but the name attached to it has held on throughout the Tokusatsu community over the years. I know. I can't. All I, these I, years later, we are still calling kids Kinnies. <laughs> yeah, that's because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Comic Candy Force. They we don't see them in this, but they do get referenced because they say, yes. "Oh, one of the kids found a like what was it like all the apartments where he lived." were full of skeletons and i'm like really we're just going to casually mention that a child found a bunch of dead skeletons hashtag therapy for life <laughs> can you imagine what the kid in Godzilla versus had needed also hashtag therapy for life <laughs> <laughs> like he saw a lot in that movie <laughs> he seen things man <laughs> a kid by the way i met him actually he was at g-fest this year he's all grown up Oh, you met him? Yeah, yeah, he's just a regular guy now. <laughs> and by the way, in the movie, his name is Ken, so... Yes, even better. Actual Kenny. <laughs> well, it, you know where the term came from, right, Kenny? Wasn't that from, from Gamera? It was from Gamera. It's because in the... Let me make sure. The Sandy Frank dub from the 80s of the original movie, they changed Tosh... Uh, to, is it Toshiro? Or Toshio? I think it's Toshio. Yeah, They changed Toshio. his name to Kenny. And then MST3K, that was the version that they saw, and they kept cracking jokes at the kids' expense, and then they kept calling all the kids, because they did four more Gamera movies, well, five now, if you include the new season, they kept calling them Kennys. That's how the term got popular. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Hmm. Well, that's cool that you got to meet him. What was he like? I, he's just a normal, regular guy. He, he normal. Like, does, does he embrace having been in that movie? Uh, and- for the... For the most part, he doesn't really think much of it. He did. He just he only acted as a kid. Like he was. He did Heterai. Did Megalon. He was in a Kurosawa mm-hmm. movie. He was in some episodes of what was it? He was on an Ultraman show, I think, for an episode. He yes. was. He was in was Return Leo. of Ultraman. I think what? I think it was Return of Ultraman. Yeah, my Return of Ultraman. And uh, he did one other show, and then after that, he just quit. Finished does he remember and, anything? Huh? He, 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 he was pretty young. It's like, does he remember anything from that? Oh, period? he does. He he remembers okay. some stuff, but you know, he just did a few things as a kid. Then he just went back to school, finished school, and now he's an airline pilot. 
Oh, wow. It's pretty cool. Yep. Yep. But he, uh, some people tracked him down, brought him to the United States, but he didn't really act like a celebrity at all. It's like, here's all of these fans that are like, oh my gosh, we love you. And he's just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He would just wander around the hotel like he was just a regular person. And that's pretty neat. Yeah. I would yeah. love me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He, like I said, he was a cool guy. I, my, one of my regrets is that when I went to get his autograph, I didn't get the picture that was him on jet Jaguar's shoulders. I oh, missed yeah. that. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that Ken, he also needed therapy for life, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but speaking of hetero, yeah, he's got hetero powers basically in this. The plot is he's going to fill the city with, Deadly smog that will turn everybody into skeletons. Somebody saw Godzilla versus Hedera. <laughs> so question about that, about his smog. So does the smog need to be breathed in in order to work? Because later on in the episode, Taki and Ryder and the scientists are trapped in a room full of the smog, but they cover their mouth and their nose so it doesn't affect them. I know. I was a little confused was, by that. I was like, hmm. Okay, show. That's what you want to go with. Yeah. I mean, I would have been willing to believe that Hongo could withstand it for a while. Because yeah, for Hongo, that makes sense. Yeah, because he's because he's common Rider. He's a cyborg. I like to think that that helmet and that armor offers some protection. But then again, I've tried to say, I've wondered that numerous times about Power Rangers, where it seems like the helmets do nothing or they do everything. <laughs> As the plot demands. Basically, yeah. Because the Power Rangers can fly in space with just their, you know, their suits and helmets, and that's fine, but you throw toxic gas at them and they're choking. I'm like, all right, guys. <laughs> guys. But apparently, yeah, it has to be breathed in, which I guess makes sense. You know, it's probably melting everything from the inside, but you would think if it is that corrosive. Yeah, that it would affect them whether or not they breathe it in. Yeah. Like, I think that's how it worked in Hedora. Yeah, that's how it worked in Hedora. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to hold it against the episode too much, but it does seem a little convenient. And then they escape by Ryder tearing a hole in the wall because apparently it was like connected to a river or something. Yep. Yeah. You punched a hole in a wall, it flooded the room. Okay. Which, by that point, to be fair, I think I think that was a bit late. A writer because they were in the the hole for a while by that point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, looking at my notes, I'm like, oh, they survived the deadly smog using the Bill Clinton method. I did not inhale. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Note to self. If if Shocker ever tries to murder me with gas, just hold my breath. (laughs) Yeah, that seems pretty effective. Apparently. And then we get... A little bit later on, we get another one of the show's favorite things, crucifixions. <laughs> hmm. So, again, I must award the Kaijin for getting things done. Yes. He, is, he is very motivated. <laughs> but you would think he would just kill them on the rooftop. <laughs> or the, at the hotel room. Yeah, the, the rooftop. Like, he had them, but then he had to go for such a th- theatrical death for them. Well, that's how these things work, you know. <laughs> Over, how did they put it? How did they? How did they say it in Austin Powers? Overly elaborate death sequence. <laughs> sure, but just for his character, for how motivated he was prior to that, 
seems like he would have just gotten rid of them then and just haven't done with it. Yeah, you would think, but you know, then we wouldn't have another crucifixion because the people, the guys working on Common Rider, are like, oh. <laughs> Oh, Ultraman uh, likes having one crucifixion per series. We're going to do about 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the show, yeah, that doesn't get mentioned as much for Kamen Rider, the crucifixions. Yeah, yeah. People, well, People normally talk about Ultra series with that, but yeah, the first Kamen Rider has quite a few. Yeah, well, it's partly because of little known fact about Eiji Tsuburaya. He was a, a rare Japanese Catholic. Yes. So that was a big part of it. But as we learned from our friend August Ragone, <laughs> crucifixion was actually a popular method of execution in feudal Japan for a while. And according mm. to the research I did on MIFV when I talked about the Daimajin trilogy, it was in large part because of the introduction of Christianity <laughs> after the Portuguese came. Which was a very touchy period in Japanese history. It was. was. And Martin Scorsese did a movie on that recently, didn't he? In the last yes. several years? Yes. Uh, Silence? Silence, yes. I was trying to remember the title. But yeah. So, of course, we get uh, we get more crucifixions because Sh- a Gel Shocker, no matter what branding they have, loves crucifixions. Well, you, you know Gel Shocker. They'd rather... Not just Gel Shocker. Shocker in general. They'd rather completely restructure their organization multiple times before doing the simplest thing, which is a drive-by on Taxi Bonnet Racing Club. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, uh, if you ever want to amuse yourself, uh, look up on the internet, the Evil Overlord list. It's been around for like 20 years now on the internet. It's basically this guy who compiled all the stupid mistakes that villains make in TV, movies, comics, and all the rest of them. Just genre fiction uh-huh. period and basically said i as the evil overlord will not do this and one of my favorite ones was if the hero asks me before you kill me will you finally tell me what this is all about i will say no and shoot him on second thought i will shoot him and then say no <laughs> shocker could stand to read that list <laughs> I guess it's a bit of human nature to gloat. You, you think you've yes. won. You caught me monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And now, and then, you know, like in the previous episode, we had the fastest henshin ever. We also have Hongo in this one transforming without posing. Which was kind of cheap how he got out of that. Like, real, realistically, Ryder should have died there. Yeah. Because... He was chained up, and then he was still chained when the small came at him. But then, like, half a millisecond later, he is gone and transformed. And you're like, wait, what? How did he do that? Like, if maybe there were a few shots of him slowly loosening the chains or something. Yeah, you would think. You would think. Hmm. But then just uh, looking over my notes, just a few random things. I find it interesting that all of the smog victims early on in the episode, when they're testing the smog to make sure it works, they're all they're like a bunch of married couples just trying to have a pleasant dinner after work. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's like in the morning and the, and the wife is just trying to make the husband breakfast before he goes to work. And then they're like, oh, no, smog. And then they die. <laughs> yeah, pretty rough. Yeah, pretty rough. 
You're and, coming home after a long day of work or you're just getting out of bed. I'm like, you know what would sound good right now? Breakfast or lunch. Yep. You turn on your stove and you just die. Yeah, instantly. you just die. <laughs> and then, oh my gosh. I love how the Gelshocker goons try to sneak around in the grass. I'm like, guys, you're wearing primary colors. <laughs> you're not blending yeah, I'm in. Not, I'm not really a fan of those uniforms. Yeah, they're they were a downgrade from the skeletons. The skeletons are the best ones. <laughs> And those are the ones that seem to get remembered the most. Like, if you're looking at media since then that has the Shocker goons, it's always the skeletons. Yep. I don't think I've ever seen any of the Gale Shocker goons in anything since. Yeah. Although I do kind of miss those really dapper Shocker goons in those first 13 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) With the heavy makeup and the berets. (laughs) I think Ano's kind of bringing that back with Shin Kamen Rider. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that they're, they're wearing masks. They're not skeletons, like a some some other design on the mask. But I think they're wearing hats, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I could have completely made that up, but <laughs> <laughs> well, if I get but angry letters, I know I'll know. <laughs> Send your hate mail to henshinmen at gmail.com, <laughs> which I will then forward to Blue Nova. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm tr- trying to get you more publicity. People oh, are more likely to, yeah. to engage if they're upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, let's not diss the guest. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you're the big star here, not me. I get it. I mean, <laughs> this is all about you. <laughs> totally kidding. But anyway, uh, but then what do you think of our very, very last minute revelation about the scientist who was helping them the whole time? Yeah, that was kind of weird throughout the episode. Sometimes he would, like, whenever he called, forced to call the heroes, and he didn't want to give up information, like, lead them into a trap, it was like, oh, okay, he's being forced to do this. And then, like, whenever he then turns on them, he seems to be with it. And it's like, oh, so I guess he changed his mind? Yeah. And I guess Shocker was turning on and off the switch in his brain, the, the device. Yeah. Because he seemed genuinely like he did not want to, to help Shaka do that. Gail Shaka do that early on. Yeah. Yeah. And then we just say at the last minute, oh, he's got a device in his head. We'll make sure to remove it. And then he'll be fine. No consequences whatsoever. Yeah. For a second, I thought they had killed him. I did too. <laughs> I, like, I said, oh, just... that's a bit different. Yeah. A little bit different. But no, it's technically a happy ending. We just aren't going to see the happy ending because... You know, we're just going to be told he'll be fine. He's totally fine, guys. He's totally fine. But, you know, it does play into Shocker slash Gel Shocker's favorite overuse plot device, which is mind control. I got a little old after a while. <laughs> well, with like 100 episodes, uh, I imagine things, yeah. you start you start to, to repeat yourself here and there. You do, you do, but... Hey, you know, the show got crazy popular. They had to keep it going somehow. And Toei likes making, generally speaking, likes making more episodes of their shows than Subaraya does. Yeah. Oh, the Ultra Series is normally around 50, 40 episodes. Yep. Well, this is 100 if you count the two movies, the, the two short films. Yep. Yep. Think about that, people. <laughs> Although Twice as long. Yep. Although... Fun fact, the next episode after this one, I am inviting my co-host Travis to come back and we're going to talk about those two movies since they are available to view on Toei's YouTube channel until the end of December at the very least. Kamen Rider versus Shocker and Kamen Rider versus Ambassador Hell. Yep. 
or as they call it on YouTube, the ambassador from hell. Hmm. Ambassador from hell. That sounds pretty cool too. Yeah, it does. Anyway, do you have anything else or should we move into the awards? Hmm. I think there was something else I wanted to say regarding this episode. All right. Let's look at my notes real quick. On second thought, it looks like we might have covered everything. All righty, then on to the awards we go. This will be exciting for you, Blue Nova. You get to give out some Toku Awards. Here we go. So first up, uh, well, first I should say, for those who are listening for the first time, hello, Blue Nova fans. <laughs> I have fans. Yes, you do. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I haven't looked at your subscriber count on YouTube for a while, but yes. <laughs> 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 but anyway, these are fun little awards that we give out to standout aspects of the TV show episodes or movies. We occasionally do movies that we cover on Henshin Men. We totally didn't steal it from Monsters vs. Men. You borrowed it. Yeah, borrowed and perfected, as Michael likes to say on the power trip. But that's because... <laughs> it is part, that's because it's we, part of the creative process. Yes, but that's because we stole the exact same awards from Henshin Men and do them on the power trip. We just gave them new names. <laughs> so you're stealing what the thieves already stole. But anyway, we're moving on. Anyway, so first up, we have the Henshin Kick Award for the best stunt or fight scene. Blue Nova, as the guest, I will let you go first. I know a real popular one. It's not super elaborate, but you know the point of view shot whenever a common writer is punching the yes. towards the end? I've seen that gift a lot. So people really like that one. And it's... It's been done before, but just him coming at the camera and boom, boom, boom was was pretty cool, pretty memorable. Yes. And then does the motorcycle stunt count? The one where he leads up into the air and the explosion behind him. Yes, that counts. The part where you thought that your computer was broken. Yes, yes. No, I considered that one, actually. That was one of the ones I considered. But yes, that counts. (laughs) Well, now we'll go with those two for most impressive stunts. Yeah, although uh, the thing, the funny thing about this and the next award is sometimes there can be a bit of overlap, as we'll see here. But the for okay. the best hunter fight scene, I went with the Common Rider versus Mora Yurtle's severed head and headless body from the end of episode eighty-five, just because it's such a weird kaijin and such a weird fight scene. Are you talking just about the head, or are you also including the shell flying around? Oh, I'm the including the whole thing. It's just the whole thing. Okay. It's just nutty. Just Yeah, because he flies around like Gamera for a little bit, and he throws throwing his severed head at him. It's just crazy. And the head explodes? And then the head explodes, because that's what you do. <laughs> also in that episode, there's a really cool shot. So whenever Ryder and the Kaijin first meet, there's the shot in front of the electric tower that is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then you also get a, some point of view shots of them punching each other. Yes. I thought that short sequence was a standout as well. Yes, yes. You are allowed to give out runners-up on this show. <laughs> we encourage it. So then next up, we have Takintoku for the best special effect. What'd you have? Best special effect? I guess it would go with the, the turtle flying around. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's a good choice. We, uh, so we talked about that a little bit. I, this is where I gave it to the freeze frame that you were talking about from... Uh, for the Henshin Kick Award. But yeah, the freeze frame, when he's jumping on Cyclone with the explosion behind him and it goes to the commercial break, I'm like, man, that's action movie stuff right there. <laughs> that I is usually, an iconic shot. <laughs> yes, for sure. I usually expect to see stuff like that, You know, certainly from the 80s. It seemed more like an 80s thing to me, but I, I guess it had to start somewhere. But we've seen some things on the show that were 
honestly, I felt like movie caliber and, you know, and the sort of stunts that nobody really does anymore. So kudos to them doing it on a oh, yeah. television budget, no less. So the same scene I was talking about earlier, whenever they first meet the Kaijin uh-huh. writer and Taki, the bird's eye view from the tower, yes. inside the tower of them fighting the shocker goons was really neat. Yeah, that w- that was a good one too. I did. Yeah. It, again, we're still remembering that we can do the crazy artsy shots here. <laughs> yeah. Like Kamen Rider has moments of, of the more artistic shots and just scenes in general, but it's not consistent. Like the ultra series was right. Like just pull up a random episode of return of Ultraman and you'll find a lot more of that on a more consistent basis. For sure. For sure. Especially in the seventies. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah, all the 70s Ultras, nuts. (laughs) Just nuts. And then next up, we have coming at you for the best line. What did you have? Hmm. I'll let you go first on this one. Well, I had General Black when he was gaslighting Maki's dad to turn him into... What is it? An enemy. An enemy in Jaguar. An enemy Oh, that guy, that Kaijin. <laughs> and he says, killing Kamen Rider will bring joy to Gel Shocker. It will bring joy to me, General Black. And Anemanaguar, it will bring joy to you too. Ooh. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that is a fantastic line, actually. A few lines. <laughs> I would have to go with that one. All righty. Yeah, because it's just so crazy. <laughs> It's like you have to be like a silver or golden age comic book to get away with stuff like this. <laughs> no, this this sounds like actual points people would bring up in legitimate manipulation. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, you're probably right. I that that is a good point to remember. We might think of some of these as corny, but there are people who have dealt with other people who are like this. Like, no, this will make you happy. This is for you. This is for this you. will. Not just you, but think about all the other people you will make happy. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say that, it is that does make sense. You know, it's melodramatic here for sure, but there's a ring of truth to it. I stand corrected. Nice job, Blue Nova. I wasn't trying to argue, but okay. <laughs> No, it's fine. No, I appreciate it. I really do appreciate that. <laughs> Although I will say, as far as Shocker generals, Gel Shocker generals go. So far, I haven't been terribly impressed with General Black, but hopefully that'll change. He's the more subdued of, subdued of the four. Are, do you count the Katniss Man as a general? Eh, not really. I think more like like Colonel Zol and Dr. Shinigami. And... Yeah, but like he, he, he doesn't get brought up or counted among them, but... He came to Japan for the same reason as General Zol. This is true. This is true. Like, hey, the Japan branch is slipping. We need someone from a successful branch to come in and oversee operations. That is a very good point. And then he's there for two episodes hmm. doing that and then until he dies. Yes. Oh, yeah, Cactus Man. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was kind of weird how he's forgotten, basically. Yeah, well, that can happen. <laughs> That can happen. I guess just like the Ultra 7 Superior. The Ultra 7 Superior. Yeah. From Ultra 7. The first one, because he did get replaced. No, like in the last episode of Ultra 7. Oh, yeah. that's. Oh, yeah. You're right. Now I remember. See, it's all blending together. This is what happens when you live a life where you just have a very steady diet of tokusatsu. Sometimes you forget things. (laughs) 
Although I've heard some some fan theories that that was actually just in Ultra Seven's head that he's not an actual character. Yeah, I've heard that too. But if if he is a character, then yeah, he's been forgotten. Yeah, unfortunately. And then finally, we have my favorite award, WTH, what the head shit for the craziest moment. Do you have one? The craziest moment. Oh, man. There are plenty of crazy moments in these episodes. Yeah, there are. Um, it's I, hard to pick. Based on your reaction, I would say that the head coming off was yours. Yes, yes. The I called it casual decapitation powers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would say how convenient Ryder got out of some of the problems he was in in episode 85. Yeah, I did not. I kind of feel like <laughs> that and the cross scene, the, the crucifixion part, because it felt like Ryder was actually in a pinch in both of those situations. And the villain had already started the process of killing him, but Ryder mysteriously, magically, conveniently escaped in a way that, that stands out more than, than usual. Yeah. Like, it's like, mm, show, like Ryder's cool and all, but you, you probably could have set up his escape a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But then again, Ultraman would invent superpowers to save his eyes. I guess the, the Ultra Bracelet could do about anything. Yeah. <laughs> it could. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's not unheard of. It's not unheard of. All right. And finally, we need to wrap things up because we only have a minute to henshin it. That was pretty good. I like that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the show where we give our final thoughts in one minute or less. Would you like to go, Blue Nova? Uh, okay, yeah. I'll I mean, go for it. Okay. I will start the clock. You get one no, minute. No, second thought. Huh? You go first. Okay. Then I will go first, starting now. I'm... <laughs> I wish we got more stuff like this in this show. I had no idea how good of a director Ishinomori actually was. And yeah, there are some stylistic things with his episode where I'm kind of like, okay, I think you're padding this out a little bit. I was getting flashbacks to Star Trek The Motion Picture with all of its extensive beauty shots of things. But overall, I thought that that was a very welcome change of pace for the show and... I think I, I'm with you, Blue Nova. I, I would say this is actually one of the most visually interesting episodes of the show, and I would probably rank it as one of my top 10 favorite episodes of the show. Now, episode two that we talked about today feels a little more typical by comparison, but, you know, it had one of the craziest kaijin I think we've had on the show ever. So, can't go wrong there. And I'm done. <laughs> All right. All right, you ready? It's my turn. All right. Yeah. On your mark, get set, go. So, I am in agreement. I found 84 to be very, very interesting from a visual perspective and just a mood perspective as well. It has a unique atmosphere for this show, even with how weird the show can be at times. I wish that Ishinomori had directed maybe one or two more episodes or, no, my dream would have been for a Akiyoji Soji to be drawn in for at least one episode. Mm -hmm. That would have been very neat. And for episode 85, well, yes, it is a bit of a return to normal. I feel like it still has a, a bit more of the unique sensibilities going on than your standard Comrade episode, like the fight around the tower, for example. 
And the pollution angle, which was a hot topic at the time, as we mentioned earlier with Hedora and Zigra and Spectreman all bringing up that topic. I am glad that Common Writer also touched the subject, although maybe not as eloquently, maybe not as eloquently as some of the other shows and films. And time. All right. I gave you a little bonus there because you're the guest. <laughs> plus, well, I appreciate your hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Plus, we we had a little bit of a start and stop there that I edited out for all of you. <laughs> all right, yeah. Um, I would appreciate if you, you edited out some of the mistakes. Yeah, it's all right, man. That's what I do. Yeah. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So, as I said, next episode, we're kind of pausing our common writer coverage, but yet not because... I will be bringing Travis back on, and we're going to talk about the two Common Rider short films, Common Rider or Master Rider, because depend if you go onto Toei's YouTube channel, they switch between Common Rider and Master Rider. Sometimes it's a little confusing, but Master Rider versus Shocker and Common Rider versus the Ambassador from Hell. So we'll be talking about those in the next episode, and then I will be bringing on a new regular temporary co-host drew from the Cellcast, and we'll be finishing out our common writer coverage up until the last episode episode 98 when i will do a big wrap-up episode with travis so thank you once again for coming on blue nova no problem i'm glad to be here hopefully i shared some interesting thoughts about common writer yes you did and, and th thank you for what you brought uh, to this no problem again glad to be here yep as the kind of resident this is a title that has been given to me by some. I did not make this myself as the designated kaiju academic. I appreciated what you brought to this. Kaiju academic. Yeah. Man, oh man. I guess I'll add that to my resume. <laughs> yeah. I, w I would like to have a few more. <laughs> <laughs> we need a few more. <laughs> but in light of that, Thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a tokusatsu appreciation podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on the backlog of the Kaiju Weekly podcast and listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and the Power Trip, our sister podcast in the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. And where can people find you, Blue Nova? You can find me on YouTube, of course, and you can find me on Twitter. The links will be below, I do believe. Yes. Yes, they will. Yes, they uh, but will. It, blue Nova without the E in the blue. Ah, yes. So shouldn't be too difficult to find. All righty. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser. And until next time, what are we going to say? Hongo's been going to the gym and working on his henshin ups. This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.